Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial and podcast on the WWWs across the world wide web. That's a whole worldwide. We are the dogs. Uh, we are the defenders of government schools. Yep, that's what we do. Uh, no one else does. The AEU pop in from time to time to say nice things about government schools, but um, the lobbyists in Canberra, the independent and the Catholic school lobbies, they've got nothing nice to say about government schools. The government sometimes doesn't have anything nice to say about it, so you've got to come to 3CR to find a bunch of people who are willing to stand up and unambiguously defend government schools and say, without fear or favour, that all money spent by the taxpayers of this country should go to schools um, only if a set series of requirements are true. Firstly, the school's free. shouldn't be given money to schools that also charge parents. So, free. They have to be secular. So they're not part of any peculiar religious group of tenants if you're going to give them money from, from the taxpayers. And they have to be universal, which is to say they take all comers. If you're in the zone, you're in the door. If you want to go, you go. If there's not a, if there's not a desk and a chair for the kid, well, do you know what? You put a desk and a chair there for the kid. Universal education. We don't care if they are black, brown, if they're this religion or that religion or they're white or they're gender this or gender that. It doesn't matter to a school. Um, Certainly not to a government school. We take them because that's our job. The values of government schools are sacrosanct as far as I'm concerned. If you're going to talk about religion, those values, free, secular and universal, are the things that matter when it comes to where the money should go. And the money should only go to those schools. That's what we say here at the Dogs. We've been saying it for 40 years and more because that's about how long it's been since the government's been giving money to private schools. Do we... Jump up and down about religious people and their freedoms? No, nope. you can free to believe what you like. Just don't expect the taxpayers' subsidy to do it, is all we have to say. In fact, many members of the dog are deeply religious people um, and practice their religion very sincerely. Uh, Jean, who's usually on this show, is one of those people, of course, uh, for our regular listeners. You know who I'm talking about with Jean. She's still um, indisposed, but very good chance she'll be back next week. But um, I know she's out there listening today as well. So, Jean, if you get yourself some better, then you can be on this side of the microphone and not have to listen to me and Dale all the time. (laughs) And that will make your life a bit easier, I'm sure. So, the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools. We go through every week um, what's going on in Australia and also around the world um, in terms of education policy and practice. We have reviews um, of various articles and we, we deal with what the media is talking about and, of course, we review that. But um, just recently, uh, for our regular listeners, you will have realised, just in a very short recap, that when it comes to the new Gonski 2.0 funding model, there has been provision, extra provision made for the education of students with disability. That is, if a student has a disability, then that student attracts more and extra funding from the government. Very good. In fact, 
in principle, that's the way to go. If a student has a disability, then of course we as taxpayers, and I as a taxpayer, we would be quite happy to stump up the cash so that person can live a free and productive life. And if you do that by putting, putting money into their education, extra money into their education, then that's a good thing. However, the independent school system of Australia, which are essentially private schools, which are not Catholic, um, they're called independent, we call them dependent schools because they are largely taxpayer funded, um, have decided that they're going to gain the system. And they have come out, in Victoria in particular, and said that one in four of their students have a um, disability. One in four of the students at uh, Lauriston. Lauriston, yeah, Lauriston, one of them. If, if you've got a spare $30,000 hanging around, then you can send your child there for a year. Lauriston, yeah, have one in four of their students, 25% have a disability, and so therefore are attracting millions of dollars in extra funding because they themselves have assessed this. There's no independent assessor. The school themselves have assessed that, this, that one in four students have a disability. And when quizzed upon this, they say, we're not going to tell you any more information because all of our assessments relating to disability for all of our students at Lauriston Girls School um, are confidential. So give us the money and we're not going to tell you anything more. Now, this was shocking news when it came out two weeks ago and then there was more information last week and we've been following the story very closely. Last week in particular, not just the Australian Education Union, but Stephen Elder from the, from the Catholic Education Office here in Victoria got grumpy about it because he forgot to get on the bandwagon. He went, oh, if, if we'd known we could do that, we would have done it too. So he was jumping up and down criticising the independent schools in Victoria for gaming the system because he'd forgotten to game it. <laughs> anyway, the independent schools have now decided they're going to get stuck into Stephen Elder. So the Catholic schools are fighting the independent schools and the independent schools are fighting the Catholic schools all for extra taxpayers' money. So we're taxpayers on the corner going, oh, let's just not give them any if, yeah. if they're going to be childless, childish about it. <laughs> but um, Dale... Dale, I'm going to introduce you now to our wonderful microphones here at 3CR, <laughs> 855 and the AM Dale and Podcast, because you're going to give us some more details about what the independent schools are now saying about the Catholic schools, <laughs> because the Catholic schools were rude about the independent schools. Well, it's about the size of it. Thanks, Rob. Uh, I've got an article here by Henrietta Cook, and it was uh, released on the 18th of this month, entitled Independent Schools Lash Out at Catholics Over Gaming the System Claims. Victoria's independent school body has hit back at claims from the Catholic sector that its schools are inflating data on students with a disability to gain extra funding. It follows a Fairfax Media report that revealed Victorian independent schools were set to receive more than half the national funding increase for students with a disability in 2018. Catholic Education Melbourne accused wealthy independent schools of gaming the system, while the Australian Education Union said there appeared to be gold plating of the private system at the expense of children in public schools. Independent Schools Victoria Chief Executive Michelle Green said the allegations were unfounded, unfair and false. When the data on students with disabilities that the article refers to was collected from the schools, it was not explicitly it was explicitly not linked to to Australian government funding, Ms Green said. School report, schools reported this data in good faith with the sole aim of identifying students with disability. To suggest they were doing this to gain a financial advantage is not true. It's a slight on the professional integrity of the teachers involved. 
On Monday, Fairfax Media provided Independent Schools Victoria with federal government data obtained by the union under Freedom of Information showing that Commonwealth funding for students with a disability at its schools would almost double next year. It showed that disability loadings for Victorian independent schools would rise from 63.7 million in 2017 to 123.3 million dollars next year, while Catholic schools would lose 16 million dollars. Disability funding to Victorian government schools is expected to increase by 11% next year to 162.5 million. Fairfax Media gave Independent Schools Victoria almost five hours to respond to questions about what had led to the large funding increases and allegations from Catholic Education Melbourne that the data was dodgy and biased in favour of wealthier schools who had the resources to make adjustments for students with additional needs. Funding was previously based on medical assessment, but under the new system it's based on teachers' assessment of students' needs. A confidential 2016 report obtained by Fairfax Media showed that Victorian independent schools reported that 26% of their students had a disability. This was the highest figure in any school sector in the country. Victorian state schools reported that 17% of their students had a disability and Catholic schools reported 13%. Ms Green said the new definition of disability was much broader and the number eligible to receive funding support had increased dramatically. The report revealed that 12.7% of Victorian independent school students were eligible for disability funding, compared with only 10.6% of state school students and 8.9% of Catholic school students. Catholic Education Melbourne Executive Director Stephen Elder reiterated his calls for an independent audit of the new data. It seems from the data collected to date that some independent schools have written themselves very large checks indeed, he said. It's strange credulity to say that one in four students in independent schools in Victoria has a disability. Uh, um, <laughs> strange, credu- strange credulity. <laughs> oh, no. Strange credulity. Stephen, uh, <laughs> um, so... Michelle Green's defence, and can I just clarify this? Because yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit stunned here by the radio. Yeah. I'm sure our listeners are sure. as well. Just get this straight. In defence of the data and in defence of the fact that independent schools are going to get a funding windfall, was it $120 million, was it? Yes. Just, just to clarify, something like 123.3 million. Okay, funding windfall, like an extra for them, extra on top of what they already get, $123 million which Michelle Green is saying they're accidentally getting. Yeah. Because when they did the assessment of disability, it wasn't linked to how much money the school would get. It's just that the data that they got... It's a happy coincidence. ...just accidentally then got linked to the amount of money they got. So the data was collected not for this, but they decided it's appropriate to use it for for this. this. Okay, so it was just... So, one, so it kind of de- defeats, you know. Uh, um, strains. Crit- um, <laughs> B-U-L-L-S-H star T. Um, and that's as rude as I'm going to get I on mean, there. It's, it's um, she's trying. That's, 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 that's it. Yeah. 
And do you know what? I, and do you know what? She's going to get away with it. Totally. Isn't that like she's totally going to get away with it. She's going to say, oh, yeah, no, we've got the numbers. and the, our numbers How just, very dare you? Yeah, no, how very dare you? The numbers we got were just nothing to do with anything. They just happened to accidentally give us an extra $123 yeah, million. it's dollars just a happy coincidence. It's just a happy coincidence. So just go away and, and, and you're just being mean. I wonder. And we can't tell you anymore because it's all confidential <laughs> anyway. So, so just go away because you're being mean to all the disabled people. Yeah. I wonder. I think, I think that's it, isn't it? How many of their disabled students went undiagnosed prior to their attendance at Lauriston? I'll tell you what, Lauriston girls must be a deeply traumatic place to go. Because, if suddenly because they... Apparently, you know, last year, must have been a terrible year, apparently last year there, there, weren't, there was nowhere near that many disabled students, but now there all these students... A 15% are, increase. Wow, what's going on? There needs to be an inquiry into that. Shoddy. We should get the police involved. <laughs> What's going on at Lawrence? I, know, I get that. That's, 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 that's irresponsible teaching if you're making, making children more, more disabled than they were before yeah. by, in, in such vast numbers. Because that's actually 250 kids. No, it's more than that. It's about 300 kids because yeah, right. about 1,200 kids go to the school. That's, and, you know, the, the numbers. 300 children forward. in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne have been made disabled in a year. <laughs> that's just terrible. Someone should do something. I don't know. Well, somebody I think should, of the children. <laughs> they just made them all disabled. I, How's I, that going to work on their self-esteem? I don't know. You've well, been diagnosed oh, now, Bob. They, they need extra well-being counsellors to come oh, in. That's because, when oh, that's when the wellness centres come in. Well, we have to fund them. We have to fund them because obviously the kids in state schools don't need any support. Oh, no. Well, no. obviously, you know. Oh, no. Kids in state schools don't need it's learning support. It's not that they support. don't need it. It's not that they don't need it. It's just that they don't matter. Oh. That's that's what the governance apparatus is telling them. You do not matter to us. Oh, I'll tell you what. This anyway. So that seems to be where that particular debate is. Um, mm. Everyone put in their figures. They're pointing the fingers at each other. The independent schools have gamed the system. The Catholic education system um, pointed this out. <laughs> Notice that Michelle Green does not defend herself against the Australian Education Union. Mm. They don't matter. Mm. Notice she's not defending herself against us, because no. apparently, apparently we don't matter as far as she's concerned. She's just defending herself against Stephen Elder and the Catholics. To the larger lobby group. The larger lobby group. And that's how Funny power how that works. works. Yeah. You, fight, you fight the biggest dog in the fight. And it's interesting that, no, there are, you know, at, at a federal level, you know, and even at a state level, what are the politi- what, 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 what's, what, what's the education minister got to say about this? Where's the statement from the education minister? Yeah. Well, actually, there was one. It's like, oh, yeah, no, we're going to have to have a look into the thing with the thing. With yeah, the thing. anyway, yeah. We'll, we'll set up a paper tiger to deal with that. Oh, look over here. Yeah, look over yeah. here. There's something look at else. that interesting yeah, thing over yeah, there. Yeah, the power prices, <laughs> power prices, whatever, some, something. Um, gay marriage. But, but, yeah, gay marriage, yeah, yeah. Gay, gay marriage. But Barnaby Joyce, um, yeah. yeah, power prices. <laughs> citizenship. Oh, so, oh, yeah, citizenship. We've got so many wonderful distractors. It's no wonder everyone's so confused. <sighs> Sorry, onward I, and upward. Onward and upward. You're right. We should just. I should let this go, shouldn't I? But we will, dear listeners, fill you in um, on how this story develops because I would be very surprised if this actually gets brought up and changed. Even you though you think they'll get the funding? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, of course. But they. it just seems such an obvious sort of discrepancy. Yeah. Oh, that's $123 million that's not going to a state school. Well, uh, yeah, there's that's $50 not, million dollars more than yeah, they got last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. That's not going to students with disabilities in state schools. Now, just remember, in state schools, open to all. If a kid turns up and they have an emotional disability or a physical disability, the school says yes. 
If there's no ramp, the school builds a ramp. If there's no support, the school has to get support. The school copes because that's what state schools do. They not just survive, in many cases they thrive. And in fact, there's a particular couple of schools, will be, actually, I think we'll talk about one today, a great state school out in the east of Melbourne oh, um, who great. are doing amazing things with, with a lot less than that when it comes to money, yeah. providing excellent value for money. But we'll be talking about that after, I think, just a few little messages. If you love 3CR, then why not support us by setting up a regular donation? You decide how much and how often you donate, and once it's set up, you don't have to think about it. Monthly, weekly, annually, you decide, and there's no minimum amount. Your donation is also 100% tax deductible. And you can claim the entire amount back via your tax return, knowing you are directly diverting Commonwealth funds to keeping your favourite station operating. It's the easiest way to grow 3CR. So if this works for you, sign up. Go to 3cr.org.au slash donate or call the station on 9419-8377. Welcome back to the Dogs Program. Yeah, we've been tidying up about what's going on in the ongoing debate between um, the argument between independent schools and the Catholic schools in, in Victoria in particular. Uh, but we're going to take a little bit of a sidestep to another bugbear um, of, of, of the dogs when it comes to education. Another one of those serial, serialised bits of stupidity that happens in the Australian environment. And one of those things, of course, is the Teach for Australia program. Um, we're going to, be, going to be talking about that in detail. But um, and after that, of course, we're going to have some good news. We're going to talk about <laughs> a great state school. But just to remind listeners what Teach for Australia is, Teach for Australia is when you get neoliberal economics and free marketeers coming up with ideas about how to solve the problems of the education system in Australia. You don't talk to teachers, you don't talk to principals, you don't talk to experts, you don't talk to academics, you talk to economists and you talk to business people and the business people came up with a solution to all the problems of Australian education and their solution was this. You get the best and the brightest from the universities across Australia, you know, from the sandstones, the Melbourne universities, maybe even the Monashes and things like that. And they're the best and the brightest. They got the best marks and they graduate and they're all bright and shiny and they want to do something about inequity. So what you do is you give those those students, those fresh out of university, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, clever kids, you give them six weeks training and you throw them in front of the worst schools in Australia. And that's how you solve the problem. You get the brightest kids, you put them in the worst schools, um, you put them as teachers in the worst schools, and you give them about six to 12 weeks training. And that's called the Teach for Australia program, which is modelled on the Teach for America program. Now, the Teach for Australia program, as opposed to the Teach for America program, um, has basically stuffed up. It's a complete failure. Anyone who could tell you anything about anything would tell you it's failed. Um, the American program has been around for about four or five years longer than the Australian one. They're already getting rid of that because it's already failed. The Australian one is just in the, in, just in the tail ends of just being an abject failure. Why do I say it's an abject failure? Because Trevor Cobalt says it's an abject failure, and I listen to what he says. Now, the Teach for Australia has actually abjectly failed to answer any questions or criticisms about its program. Now, the, question, like, the questions that have been asked are these, of the Teach for Australia program. Now, these are proper serious questions that have been asked. Firstly, the problems are the large majority of Teach for Australia teachers 
are in marginally disadvantaged schools instead of highly disadvantaged ones. So they're not actually, firstly, they're not putting them in the hardest schools. Second thing, the attrition rate of Teach for Australia is much, much higher than traditionally trained early career teachers. So they're not hanging around. So all the money you're putting into them is just a waste of money because they disappear at much, 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 much faster and at much higher rates than traditionally trained teachers. Now, this high turnover of these teachers imposes additional financial and human resources costs on the schools where they're placed and actually negative impacts on the students themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but if you went to a school where you had one teacher for half of a year and another teacher for the other half of the year and the next year you had different teachers because they kept resigning and swapping in and out, you're not going to get a good education just because the teachers aren't there committed to you and know about you. Um, I'm just going to take a bit of a side because I've been a teacher myself. When you go to a new school, you just write off the first three months as a teacher because you just have to get to know the kids before you can teach the kids. Kids aren't going to trust you, especially in hard schools. Kids aren't going to give you the time of day unless they know that you're worthy of respect. And that takes time, minimum three months. So you have to earn the kids' respect. If you do that in that three months, then after that you can actually start educating them because they will listen to what you say because they respect you. If you're a Teach for Australia graduate and you don't know what you're doing because you've only got 12 weeks training in the first place, you're, yeah, you're placing an additional financial burden because once you're in there, the school has to provide you with a mentor. So you're not just thrown in, you're thrown in and the school actually has to cough up extra resources to support you because obviously you're not really very good so at your job not, yet. they're not getting an extra teacher. No, no, no. They're getting someone to babysit. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Uh, how much does it cost? It costs much more in the end. The whole thing was supposed to save money, but actually it doesn't. It's a very high cost program in comparison to traditional teacher training. Now, how do I know that? Well, you take the amount of money the whole thing cost. And you work out how many teachers effectively you have at the end of a three-year period. Okay? And you take the second number and you divide it into the first number, and that's how much they cost. And you compare that to a normal trained teacher. How much does normal teacher training cost? And, and how many teachers do you get at the end of a three-year period? And Teacher Australia graduates are much more expensive. Mm. And also, there's no evidence that this whole program actually improves the results of the kids. They're not teaching them any better. They're not being more successful at teaching and learning program. Anyway, in response to these criticisms, the Teacher Australia actually responded to them because they had to. And they reported um, their responses in the Education Review. And Trevor Cobold reckons straight up it's pathetic. It resorts to assertions, fudges, fudges in their data. It mm. cites selective data and relies on unpublished studies by one of its own corporate partners who's profiting from the process. Its inability to answer the criticisms demonstrate the whole process cannot justify nearly $80 million in taxpayer funding over the 10 years it's been going. Now, the claim that it makes, which is all of its teachers have been placed in disadvantaged schools, is just not true. I mean, and I can say this because in the report, placements are mostly below but not significantly below the national median based on ICSIA values. Placement schools tend to be clustered immediately below the median, so just a little bit poor, rather than Australia's most disadvantaged schools. 13% of the placements were in schools that were above the national median, so that's in you know, rich kids' schools. 
13% in rich kids' schools. This is primarily due to justifications setting eligibility requirements that re- reference local rather than national definitions of disadvantage. This result is inconsistency and some inequality in some school where some schools receive placements. So what he's saying there is you have local disadvantage. Okay, so that's like, oh no, I have to go and teach in Caulfield South, not Caulfield. Oh no, I'm going to have to teach in Glenferry, not Turak. So yes, relative disadvantage is completely different to absolute disadvantage when it comes to the country. That's what they're talking about. Also, the Teacher Australia has not published a current list of schools with placements, so they're being opaque. However, um, last year, um, in their publications, they contained a list of 96 partner schools. An analysis of the level of disadvantage in each confirms the conclusion that the recent evaluation that they put is mostly marginally disadvantaged schools rather than highly disadvantaged schools. And I'll tell you why. The best and the brightest aren't going to go to the country. The best and the brightest aren't going to be teaching in sunshine because that's not where the best and the brightest lived in the first place, apparently, because we live in a world where where you are born is directly correlated, correlated to your educational advantage. That fact in itself is disgusting. Mm. And it's a fact. Mm. And, I th- and I think it's an, it's, it's, it's an offensive fact, and that in itself needs to be fought, which is what we do here at the docks. But that fact means that these Teach Australia graduates aren't going to go out to Braybrook, mm. aren't going to go out to, to Hamilton. They're not going to go up to the Murray. And so that's why when they talk about disadvantage, it's relative, not absolute. Mm-hmm. I mean, I continue. I mean, I can continue on. I mean, there's all these things which basically, re- their response to these allegations are just fudges. They fudge their data. I mean, how, how can I say? I mean, I've got so much here. I can't go on about it too much. But if you're interested, uh, please do check out this data on our website at www.adogs.info, or indeed at the Save Our Schools website which is www.saveourschools.com.au. Both of those websites will fill you in with all the information where they just don't answer the criticisms. Mm. And the really sad thing is that nobody cares because this whole thing is propped up with the idea that competition is good, neoliberal economics solves all problems, including education. And that's kind of like a theology When you put the data in front of people and said, no, it's a waste of money, it's not doing good for anyone, can you stop it? Um, policies are going, no, no, because we're, we're doing partnership with business and stuff. Yeah. That's all good, isn't it? That's my important. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're being like socialist and stuff anyway, mm. you know. Yeah, you just want socialist stuff. Mm. In fact, one of the criticisms of the dogs, in fact, one of the criticisms of state schools in general is that state school systems do not cater for individual difference. This is what they say about state schools. Oh, the state schools is a big monolithic system. They don't cater for individual difference. And here's the kicker. My child, Mm -hmm. the specialness of my child cannot be catered for in a public school. The specialness of my child cannot be catered for in a government school because government schools don't do that. They're, They're too big. And also, and this is the other thing, of course, I don't want my child's learning to be interfered with by by rat bag other kids. You know, I, I, I don't want my child associating with poor children in the school because they might catch, they might catch poverty or something. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm a bit, I'm a bit grumpy about aspirational middle classes people, and I'm sure I'm wrong about that. Jean disagrees with me and takes me down a peg, but she's not here, so I can go for it. <laughs> um, but today, I'm just going to prove that's not true. Just prove it's not true because different schools 
certainly different skate schools solve problems in different ways and they are responsive, deeply responsive to their communities. They experiment, they play with ideas, they listen to the parents, they create systems and structures and environments that support learning for the particular kids. Maybe most of the kids in the school come from one particular place because that's what that, that place, you know, maybe it's from overseas and they don't have a, their first language isn't in English. The school will cope. The school will behave differently to a, a school that's different. And I'm going to talk about a school now, a really great state school, um, that's doing something that really responds to what's going on in its community, but also applying cutting edge international education research that's proven to be, proven to be effective. And I'm so excited about this. It's a wonderful thing that's going on. It's a lovely little school called Harkaway Primary School. Now, I'm going to get um, uh, Dale to tell us a little bit about it, and then I'm going to go through all the numbers. I'm going to talk about the, abs- the ab- absolute numbers of what's going on. This is a great state school. Harkaway Primary School, they're doing some really cool stuff. Now, remember, this is a state school. This is part of that mythical monolith of state education where all the children are the same and all that sort of stuff. But I'm about to disabuse our listeners, if that's what you thought, because what's going on down there is exceptional. Dale will be telling us all about this after a few little messages from 3CR. When you were young, did you walk to school? Most children these days don't. In October, hundreds of thousands of children, parents and grandparents around Victoria will be part of Vic Health's Walk to School Month. Why not join them? Walk to school with your kids or grandchildren and enjoy the chance to talk and teach road safety skills while getting active yourself. It's a great way to spend quality time together. Ask your kids' primary school if they are doing something special for Walk to School Month and remember to walk, ride a bike or scooter to and from school in October. To find out more or to register, visit walktoschool.vic.gov.au. A 3CR supporter. And welcome back, listeners. You're listening to the Dogs Program on 3CR, 855 AM, the Defenders of Government Schools. And right now it's our State Schools Are Great Schools segment because, yes, each week we talk about a school that's going great guns. Just, you know, in the face of all the mainstream criticism you hear of state schools, the communities uh, involved tend to do a hell of a lot of work. And uh, we, this week, are having a chat about Harkaway Primary School because uh, they're doing some amazing things. Uh, this article is, again, from Henrietta Cook. It's entitled, Ready to Go, School Keeps Kids Switched On by Ending Each Hour with a Finish Break. Rain, hail or shine, Harkaway Primary primary school students are booted out of their classroom every hour for a quick break. They flock to the playground to shoot hoops, build cubby houses out of old branches and chat with friends. A radical overhaul of the school timetable two years ago means that students now have six breaks during the day, four that last for 10 minutes and two 45-minute breaks. The initiative is inspired by a standard practice in Finland where it's mandatory for students to take a 15-minute break every hour. Leading Finnish, leading Finnish education expert uh, Passi Salberg has called on Australian schools to follow in Finland's and Harkaway's footsteps and give students more time to play. This is the children's right, he told an Australian Council for Educational Leaders event in Melbourne last week. 
educators are really worried about how little time children and young people have to do their own thing in school. Researchers found that outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades, according to Dr Salberg, a former Director-General of Education in Finland, who's now a professor at the University of Helsinki and Arizona State University. When they have enough time to play outside, their test scores go up, he said. Australian students are spending significantly more time in the classroom than their overseas peers, but it's not improving their performance in international tests or NAPLAN results. Australian students receive 11,000 hours of compulsory instruction over the 11 years from prep to year 10. Finnish students, who outperform Australian students, receive 6,327 hours over nine years. Harkaway Primary School leading teacher Simone Randall said the benefits of outdoor play rubbed off in the classroom. Students are more focused and less fidgety when they return to class after the breaks, she said. Kids love the fact that they can go out and have a bit of a run, Miss Randall said. It's a quick 10-minute break, then they know they're back in for work. They come in and are ready for learning. Their minds are switched on and ready to go. Principal Lee Johnson said the introduction of regular breaks at the South East Melbourne School had improved students' behaviour and helped boost their literacy and numeracy skills. Parents have embraced the change, he said. It just makes sense. They, the parents, get up and go for a coffee at work. It seems organic from the parents' perspective. Grade 6 student... Asha Gallard said the regular breaks had improved her concentration in class. I used to get fidgety and start daydreaming, the 12-year-old said. A lot of us are more focused now. The breaks in the afternoon are really good because we've been in school for a long period of time. Her classmate, Will Jamson, enjoys choosing how he'll spend his time. He often plays basketball during the breaks. It's helped me out a lot, he said. It refreshes my brain. Dr Salberg had some other words of advice for Australia's education system. He called on schools to celebrate failure, an initiative Ivanhoe Girls Grammar recently adopted as part of its Failure Week. Dr Salberg stressed the importance of equity and urged parents to make time for their children to play. Education systems fail to improve when they are addicted to reform, competitive and use student tests as a key measure of accountability, he said. I'll just read that sentence again. Education systems fail to improve when they are addicted to reform, competitive and use student tests as a key measure of accountability, he Mm -hmm. said. The best education systems have schools that cooperate with each other, allocate their resources fairly and value all subjects. If we are just focused on reading, writing, maths and science, that's an invitation for inequitable outcomes. Yeah, look, amazing. Amazing. Absolutely stunning. And how obvious is that? It's a bit of a no-brainer. Well, I'm sitting here on the radio on 3CR 855 and AM dial, and we've got a radio show that goes for an hour. Do you know what? That's long enough. Mm. And then I'm going to I'm going to go and have a cup of tea when I finished. Wait, how do you say? Stretch your legs. Stretch my legs. Have a cup of tea because you know. Maybe, oh, actually, no, I can't do that because <laughs> I've got to keep it on because the next show. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's true. Oh, we can have a quick cup. Actually, do you know what? I'm, I'm going to put some music on right now okay. so you can go and make a cup because we've been talking for too long, and we're grown ups here in the studio. Mm. Arguably, mm. imagine you're a kid in the primary school. Totally. You know, kids in primary schools learn completely different to, to, to grown ups in lecture theatres. But do you know what? 
How simple was that? And this school finally, one, a state school, you know, mm. taking research, and I'm going to tell, tell you a little bit more about the research, and I'm going to tell you a bit more about school too. It's about Harkaway. Yeah, because it's a great school. After a bit of music, so you can have a cup of tea and stretch your brain. <laughs> Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. The handle Adagio there just to stretch your, stretch your mind and stretch your legs because that's what you should be doing in primary schools. I mean, imagine making a, some, make, making a six-year-old sit down and listen to this for an hour. No, you can't do it. That's stupid. Mm. Mm. But that's what primary schools in Australia have been doing. And I'm going to give you some stats on that in terms of international comparisons in a minute because there's been an interesting report written by Blaise Joseph at the Centre for Independent Studies relating to the Australian issues, both in terms of time on task um, and behaviour, which everyone talks about. It's very interesting. But before that, back to Harkaway. Gorgeous little school there, just, just, just to the north of Fountain Gate. Catham Kim country. Oh, it's a wonderful place. Well, firstly, how much, how much is all this namby-pamby educationalese talking? Well, what about the three R's? What are we going around, running around? It's crazy business. Didn't they, if they can't read the results it. have just improved? Yeah, they have. Of course they have, because they needed to. That school, over the last couple of years, has been doing really well in reading, really well in writing, really well in grammar a bit, very well in numeracy, but they've had problems with spelling with the kids. Okay. And this is actually part of a response... To a, to a need. Mm. It's a response to a need. So, well, let's, let, let's get the kids out for 10 minutes every hour and maybe we can improve their spelling and, and, of course, all the other stuff. And how much does all this newfangled technology, the education research cost? How, a bit over 11000 a year per kid. Oh, that's under what? Uh, Cheap as. Yeah. Yeah, no, well, you, you, can, you can send three kids. And do you know what? Parents, you're not paying for that. Parents are coughing up fees around about $500 a year, so not really all that much, but still it should... 
And I can tell you, like I always say this, when I talk about parental fees in state schools, they are voluntary fees. Mm. If you can't afford it, you don't have to pay for it. Because it, well, it's, it's a standard box down to school, actually. They don't have as many rich kids as, as, as the average, but they don't have as many poor kids either. Most of the kids are somewhere in the middle. So if you're trying to work out you know, who's turning up, mm. um, let's just add it up. You've got about 65% of the kids are in the middle two quartiles, 14% from the lowest quartile and about 20% from the, from the top quartile. But most of the, you know, the vast majority... You know, about three quarters of them are, are in. You know, they're just they're just kids, not poor, not rich. They're just kids, and you know what? They're getting a good education. And in response to the question, the problem of hang on, our spelling's not so good. They're solving the problem, not by throwing money at it, I suppose, although that might help. But no, Tests. they're not by testing them anymore. No, they're they're basically saying go out and go out in the rain, <laughs> go out in the rain and have a chat, and then come back and we'll we'll, we'll do some more. Work. You know, go out in the sunshine and play. Shake yourself off. Shake yourself off. Go for a wander. I mean, how many times have you done it? You're sitting down, get up and make yourself a cup of tea because your brain's tired. Mm. Little kids in school, they haven't got the power to do that. They can't say, excuse me, miss, (laughs) can I just, like, have a break from my brain because I want to go out? You wouldn't do that, but you know what? Brilliant. Yet people, uh, adults are quite happy to observe how much energy kids always have and yet expect them to sit in the seat for four hours at a time. Yep, so the the school's doing well, it's doing it on the cheap and they're applying good ideas. Now bear in mind this is supposed to be part of the monolithic school system. No, that doesn't respond to individual needs. Which doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So well well done if you're involved with the Harkaway Primary School. Give us a call at 3CR, you're a bunch of awesome people. Having a bit of guts to do something like that, I think that's really wonderful to have the support because I tell you, schools can't do this without getting the parents on board. Mm. And you know, I can tell you, as a, you know, working with principals in prime, any school, you cannot just say, oh, I've got a good idea, I'm going to do it. No. You talk to your parents, you talk to your community. That's what state schools do. Private schools, no idea. <laughs> they just throw money at stuff and do all sorts of weird things. But anyway, we'll come back to that. Uh, because we don't need a wellbeing centre here at 3CR. <laughs> we, we don't need that to get on with the job. I was referring before, just briefly, to um, an article written by Blaise Joseph, um, who's one of the researchers at the Centre for Independent Studies. Now, it's a new name in the education debate. Blaise is actually an education policy analyst and a former teacher. Mm-hmm. He, yeah, so he, specialises in policy relating to education funding in Australia and has recently been working as a research fellow, Jennifer Buckingham on school funding models. Now, Jean can tell you about Jennifer Buckingham. Jennifer Buckingham spent her, la- her, her latter career trying to solve the problems that her early career created. <laughs> but we'll, we'll come back to that. From really good and interesting stuff, and it really, for me, for the first time I've seen this written down, so for me this is new information. Um, they, firstly, Blaze, what, what, what Blaze has done is he said, well, teaching in class time, how do the number of hours per day in a class that a teacher spends in Australia compare to other countries? And not just any old other countries, but successful other countries. Countries that are doing better than us in international comparison studies. So what are those countries? Finland, of course, mm. Japan and Korea are both doing better than Australia. And in Australia, in primary schools, teachers are spending 4.4 hours in front of kids doing stuff. Obviously not. Down, down there at Harkaway, but in, 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 across, this is all sectors. 4.4 in Korea, who, has a, who have now the best education system, if you take all the marks into account in the world, 3.5, an hour, less, an hour less per day. Wow. 
Japan 3.7, Finland 3.6. So on average, about an hour less teaching Mm. time for teachers than Australia, and they're doing better. The OECD average is 4.3. So we're a bit above the OECD average. But in secondary schools, 4.1 hours compared to 3.9, 3.7 for the OECD average. What that means is that Australia are spending, teachers are spending significantly, statistically significantly more time in front of kids than the OECD average and way more statistically significantly than successful education systems. Mm. (laughs) So the teachers are working harder but getting worse results. Now, Let's not talk about results. Let's talk about something called classroom misbehaviour. And this is one of the things that no one really wants to really address directly in Australia. Everyone talks around this. They talk about special petals and gifted and talented's and, <laughs> and, and, and emotional disability and all that sort of stuff. But let's just talk about what they're talking about, which is classroom misbehaviour. In Australia, 32% of students... This is students report that in their classes, people don't listen to what the teacher says. So this isn't teachers saying, this is the students themselves mm. in the classroom saying, 32% are saying, no, kids, kids, ki- other kids aren't listening. Hmm. That is statistically significantly more than the OECD average, which is 24%. Hmm. 32, not 24. So, you know, all, across all the countries in the world, our kids are reporting that our kids are worse behaved. Finland, (laughs) 9%. Interestingly enough, and this is, by the way, in Hong Kong, 40%. There's some really naughty kids in Hong Kong. So there you go. I didn't know that. Um, Noisy, yes. Much noisier than in Finland. Much noisier than the OECD average. So basically, this is saying that the students in Australia are reporting that the students in Australia are much more... (laughs) Disruptive. Are more disruptive. Than, than, than kids from around the whole world. So, and, and that's that, their self-assessment. And that's the students themselves reporting about the students themselves. Wow. Now, technology will save everything, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> In Australia, there are 1.5 computers per student. OECD average is 68. <laughs> Finland, there's about half a computer per student. In Finland, there's about half a computer for every kid. In Australia, there's one and a half. Hmm. And where are we in terms of education rankings? Further and further and further behind. So computers aren't solving the problem, and the kids are getting bad, and the teachers are working much harder than everyone else. So what about class sizes? Well, our our class sizes, actually, um, are around about the OECD average. Slightly more, but not a lot more in primary and secondary school. So class sizes don't seem to be having any effect. Computers aren't solving the problem and our kids are are worse behaved, but our teachers are fronting up and working harder than other teachers around the world. So I think those statistics are really interesting Mm. and they point to the fact that Harkaway Primary School is not just onto something by accident. Mm. They're onto something that's informed and on purpose. Mm. But... We'll be back a little bit more because I've been talking for too long and now and now we know that me talking for too long is not a good idea. We should have a break and have some messages. Tilda is Melbourne's trans and gender diverse film festival created to showcase and support the work of trans and gender diverse filmmakers along with works that have trans and gender diverse content. 
Join Tilda at the Footscray Community Arts Centre, October 26th to 29th, for our 2017 festival, filled with cinema, community and celebration. Head to tildamelbourne.com for program details and tickets. That's T-I-L-D-E, melbourne.com, a 3CR supporter. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools because someone's got it and that's what we do. And we've been talking some really interesting data. And finally, someone's now talking about what many people have think is one of the key issues in Australia, which is classroom misbehaviour. Hmm. Remember, classroom misbehaviour, because you can't talk about naughty kids anymore. <laughs> classroom misbehaviour. Fascinating stuff. Now, what is the job of the school? What is the job of the school? And I've always said, and we've always said here on the dog, the job of the school is to provide the student with a gold standard of education. Is the job of the school to socialise individuals? Is the job of the school to be like Big Brother and say, you know, make all the children behave? Well, apparently, in Australia, according to parents, the job of making well-behaved children um, is not the parents' job, it's someone else's job. Can we, can we hear more about this, Dale? Very interesting article. Yeah, it's a, a little scary. Um, it's an article from The Guardian uh, entitled Par- Australian Parents Want Schools to Teach More Social Skills, a Survey Finds. Uh-huh. A study shows mo- almost half of those surveyed want their children taught how to behave in public. It's uh, from Michael McGowan, and it was released on the 10th of October. Okay, the line between what children learn at home and in the classroom is being blurred as Australian parents increasingly ask schools to help socialise their children, new research has shown. A joint study between researchers at Monash University and the Australian Scholarships Group released on Tuesday found 69% of parents across the public and independent sector believe that schools should be teaching more social skills, while almost half want their children to be taught how to behave in public. Whoa, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, <laughs> Can I, 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 I'm, read I'm, that again? You know, just read that again. I, yeah. I don't want you paraphrasing or anything. No, 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 no. I, I just... This study found that 69% of parents across the public and independent sector believe that schools should be teaching more social skills, while almost half wanted their children to be taught how to behave in public. Oh, okay, good. It's funny, like, that's coming from someone whose name is a parent... And I thought that is a verb as well. It's not just a noun. To parent. Mm. Hmm. Anyway, part of ASG's parents report card, the study surveyed 1,800 parents across across Australia, or people with kids rather, because they're not. They're obviously not parenting, so they're just people with kids. They're not parents. Well, we are sanctimonious, but I agree. I'm hang, sorry. hang on. Hey, no, no. I don't have any kids. I can yeah. be a wanker. Yeah, no, 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 Dale. Because like, I'm. This is this is this is just. Oh, okay. That's that, not our job. That's a shift. That's a, that's a cultural shift. Ooh. I pay you good money in this school. I'm saying private school. You do the job of parenting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, because I'm, I'm, I'm onward I'm, and upward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's the rest of the article. It continues. Uh, it's the third year that ASG has produced the study, and the group's chief executive, John Vellagrini, said he'd seen a marked increase in parents wanting what he called a more holistic education for their children. 
Vellagrini said parents were thinking about education as more than just curriculum and outcomes and were thinking more about socialisation as children spent more time engaging with digital learning tools. We think socialisation is becoming a more prevalent focus because of the nature of the activities children are undertaking, he said. They're spending more individual time looking at screens, so therefore perhaps parents are worried that they're missing out on social interaction. But while Vallegrini said that other research showed teachers felt they were being asked to do more in the classroom, he said what the study showed was the need for greater discussion about what both teachers and parents expected schools to provide. I think there's a a little bit of uncertainty between parents and schools about where the responsibilities start and stop, he said. The very simple answer is that life was was once much simpler than it is now, and so those rules may need to be better defined. We've got to make that conversation as a far more powerful one. It's incredibly important that parents work with teachers to strike the right balance between what's taught in the home and the school. The study also found that parents' attitudes about what they want their children to learn varied dramatically across cultural lines. For example, it found that only 25% of parents who describe themselves as being of Australian background believe sexual education is best learnt at school, versus 62% of Indian and other Asian parents. Similarly, while 74% of parents who describe themselves as from an Australian background agreed that they could talk openly about sex at home, it fell to 60% for Indian and other Asian parents. Vallegrini said the data showed schools should be more sensitive to the cultural makeup of their schools rather than seeing each student population as generic. It shows we shouldn't be thinking of parents as a general cohort. If a school has a predominant culture or value set, then that will be reflected in parents' expectations. While the study did not look at how those opinions differed between independent and public school parents, it did find that more parents with children in the private schools sector believed their children had an adequate access to resources. The study found that 90% of parents with children in private schools agreed that their child has all the resources they need for academic success, compared with 80% in Catholic sector and 78% in public schools. The report also revealed location and income shaped the views of parents and their perception of the importance of academic success. While 75% of parents who live in metropolitan cities set high standards for their child's academic achievement, that dropped to 63% in regional areas. Oh, just goes to show, I don't know, I mean, I often credit our listenership with having some basic intelligence, and I'm sure our listeners would know that the answers you get depends on the questions you ask. The answers you get to any particular question depends on the question that you ask. And if you ask a stupid question like, do you think your child should get more socialisation training at your school, <laughs> you're going to get people say, yeah, yeah, because those other kids, they're, they're, they're real mean to my kid, my kid gets bullied, or something like that. Yeah, sure. Or they'll go, yeah, because we're both working really hard to send our child to a private school, which means we don't have enough time to parent them, so we're kind of like outsourcing that. Well, it's that already loaded, because, you know, do you want your child to have an extra benefit? Well, the answer's always yeah. going to be yes. Look, since time immemorial... Dear listeners, and I know this is a bit boring for you because everyone knows this, from time immemorial, if you're a teacher and you're standing in front of a class of more than 20, more than 20 kids, let's just call it more than 20 kids, enough to be a group, 
Okay, that means at a certain point you're going to want them to function as a group. Mm. You want them to all going to come into the class at the same time as a group or leave the class. Just really simple stuff. Then you're going to need a certain level of behaviour beyond the individual, a social behaviour where they behave as a group. When you want them to get their books out, get their computers out, put things away, whenever you're doing something as a group. And obviously that's not going to be all the time in the classroom. But you are going to have to set a set of expectations and those expectations will need to be met by every child in the classroom. Mm. Now, you can call that socialisation if you like. That's been going on since the days of Plato. (laughs) Beyond that, it is not the responsibility of the teacher. Beyond that, the individual social responses of each child are not the responsibility of the teacher. Beyond the simple fact that the child is there to learn. And you as a parent are responsible to bring your child to the school gate with a willingness to participate in the act of learning. And if you're not, if you don't think that's your job, then, um, look, if you really don't think that that's your job, um, then homeschool, go, go for your life. Uh, you know, I mean, that's fine. I mean, and, and many people do. You know, many people don't, don't want their child contaminated with the ideas that they'll get in school, in, in, certainly in a state school, because they'll, in a state school, they'll be confronted with people from different backgrounds, people with different languages, people who eat different food, people who are just different. Uh-huh. And, and if you don't want that, well, then I'm sure you can spend your own money to separate your child off and send them to a private school. Go for your life, as far as the dogs are concerned, just not taxpayers. Spend your own money. If you have particular religious or, 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 or social tenets of one form or another that conform with the laws of this country, um, then you are willing to, then you're, and you're willing to spend money to separate your children off. Then I suppose that's that's freedom. Uh, we live in a free country. You can go for your life. And if you don't want your child contaminated with the ideas of anyone outside your family, well, you can homeschool. That that is that is an option. But apart from all of those things. Um, the parents' responsibility is to, to bring the child to, to, to the gate of the school with, with value in their heart and in their mind for the process of learning. Um, and beyond that, um, the teacher has no responsibility. Although, as we all know, if you've ever been teaching, getting kids to do stuff together, is, it keeps you sane. <laughs> it keeps you sane. And so often you do end up spending a vast majority of your time actually socialising kids for the benefit of their learning and for the benefit of others. Um, and that's just the way it goes. Um, so on, on that positive note, because I'm sure the vast majority of parents do exactly that because they love their children and they love the idea that their children love learning which in essence is what a state school is all about. But until next week, ending on that positive note, we are the dogs and we have a website. And I must mention at the end of the program, or some of our listeners get get quite rightly irate, um, if you want to find out what we're on about, you can find out what we're on about, not just by listening to us and going through our podcast and the history of them, but by going to our website at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. Or indeed, you can get hold of our website through the 3CR website, which is 3cr.org.au. Um, but until next week, when we're going through the whole process again, because we have to keep fighting because we haven't won yet. You know, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll win the fight to support state schools next week, and we won't need the dogs program after that. Who knows? But until next week, it's bye for now. Dances he, I never dances he in song.
late sit Joseph's I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize. It's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Joe, you're ten years dead, 